So it has been a hard couple of weeks. And maybe it's because I've been sick for these past three or four days. And you know when you're sick, the world is just a darker place. But maybe it's just that you notice the darker things when you're sick. Last week we were talking about how the world is so divided, right? And that the church might be the clearest picture of unity. And in the church's unity, we might actually get a glimpse, the world might get a glimpse of God's love. So last week we were talking about how the world is divided, but I have been struck again and again, even in the last few days, of how the world is not just divided. This place is broken. And it's kind of got me a little worked up. It's got me a little angry. I want to give you two examples. I mean, Friday morning I'm working on my sermon as the news rolls in of yet another school shooting right down in Noblesville, Indiana. And that's less than a week after 10 were killed in Santa Fe. There have been 23 school shootings this year where someone has been hurt or killed. That's an average of more than one per week. What are we to do about this? What's the answer? Is it better gun control laws? Probably. Is it hardened schools? Right? Fewer entrances, security checkpoints. Maybe. But what if those things are just managing the problem instead of solving it? Those are things that treat the symptoms of the brokenness, but they don't address the underlying root cause. It's a world that is broken. It is individuals who are being hurt or neglected or victimized or ostracized and excluded. It's people who lack a vision of a future that is worth living for. And because nothing in their present confers anything upon them but contempt. They feel unvalued, unloved, or just like they're the object of scorn. It is hopelessness. How do you stop hopelessness? Second example. On Thursday night, I went to a presentation at the high school. Uh, uh, A doctor, Dr. Ruth Pody, came in. And if you... uh, have a chance, write down this URL and go watch some of her videos. She came in to speak on the subject of nicotine, marijuana, opioids, specifically as they are being marketed to our children during that uh, 12 to 24-year-old window while their brains are still at a critical stage of development as, as either through vaping or through edibles. And this is being done without any testing or without regulation or government oversight. And they are planting addiction in the lives of our youth. And then we see as addiction matures in and among our adults, we see an entire generation crippled by it. And children become grown-ups. And grown-ups struggle with addiction too. You and I know this. Whether it's alcohol or heroin or fentanyl, And yes, even marijuana, which now has 10 to 30 times the THC content that it had when some of us were making terrible decisions in our youth. What do we do with an industry that targets the most vulnerable in our population to plant the seeds of addiction, destroying lives? What's the answer there? Is it tighter regulations on drug production and processes and access? Probably. Is it better and more compassionate care for those who are caught in the struggles of addiction? Absolutely. 
But again, these things treat only the symptoms of the brokenness. They manage the problem, but they don't solve it. They don't get at it at its root. Whether it's the casualties from the overprescription of opioids, or it's individuals who are lost and looking for belonging, or just trying not to be made fun of at school. They just don't want to be left out. But the resulting planted seeds of addiction present a future that is really hard to see is worth living for. They're caught in a physiological trap, and then as a society we generally treat those struggling with addiction as worthless. That's hopelessness. How do you solve hopelessness? And then I turn to the Bible. And by this point, I'm a little angry. At this point, I'm hurting because the world is broken and because the world needs answers. And so I'm coming to the text and I'm saying, don't give me religious platitudes. Don't tell me just to have more faith. Don't tell me just to pray more. I turn to the Lord and I say, you have to matter. You have to have an answer to this. And you have to have a better answer than anything this world is trying to solve it with. You have to have the answers to the root of the problem. Yes, we need better legislation about gun control. We need hardened schools. I don't know. But we need something that goes beneath those, earlier than those. Something that addresses the root level of the problem, not just its surface, not just managing it. And we might need better laws and regulations on drug and vaping and and marijuana edibles from federal, state, and local authorities. Yes, but we need something more than just the management of the problem or the regulation of it. We need to solve it. And I don't want an answer that just treats the symptoms. I want to undermine the problem. I want to kick its feet out from under it. Beat the tar out of it. And I want a vision of life and a vision of the future that's worth living for. And so I turn to the Bible and I say, if you're worth the paper you're written on, you better have something to say here. Jesus, if you are the way, the truth, and the life, then what do you have to say that will take this broken, messed up world and offer it healing and offer it hope? Well, as we turn back our attention to John chapter 17, we're asking the question, how do you confer worth? How do you offer hope to a generation that is hopeless. And here at the very end of John chapter 17, Jesus is concluding his high priestly prayer. And honestly, he's putting everything on the table. This is it. This is the prayer he offers before he goes to the cross to redeem the world. And these last few verses, verses 24 through 26, he puts everything on the table and he takes up the challenge that I just threw down at him. And you get to decide if Jesus offers a better path. You get to look at what He's thrown down on the table to say if He's worth everything. So if you've got a Black Pew Bible, I invite you to follow along. It's on page 878. We're going to be reading John 17, verses 24 through 26. Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given, with, given me 
to be with me where I am. To see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. As Jesus concludes his prayer, he concludes our glimpse into the very heart of God. And he takes us on a journey towards hope and the vision of the future that's worth living for. And he begins by saying something that, even as he's praying, he's praying something we've heard time and time again. If you've been with us through this whole series, there's sort of a repeating theme alert. The first step on this journey is that Jesus, even as he's praying, reminds us that his mission on earth is to reveal the Father. Jesus reveals the Father, right? Verse 25 and 26, Righteous Father, it begins by saying, the world does not know you. Here's the root of the problem. Here is the root of the problem. The world doesn't know God. I mean, this is what the Bible, the the big story of the Bible, right? From Genesis to Revelation, like we just studied this past fall. The big story of the Bible is that we were created by God with intentionality and joy to live in relationship with Him. He created all things and pronounced them good. He created all of us and pronounced us good. That means He created you and me with intentionality and purpose and joy. And the story, unfortunately, continues with us throwing that back in His face. Rejecting God in His way, saying, we don't want you as our God. Turns out we think we're better qualified for the position. We want to be our own gods because we don't want anyone telling us what to do. Or better yet, we don't want anyone telling us what not to do. And this is the essence of sin, right? My way instead of God's way. My way instead of anybody else's way. Me. I am. And there is none besides me. And in that place, we separated ourselves from God. We lost Him. And we lost life with Him. And we lost everything that goes with knowing God. And without knowing God, life is suddenly and dramatically without a few critical things, like a sense of value, worth, and meaning. If there is no God, then where do those things come from? If there's no God that created us and loves us, then where do we turn? Everywhere and anywhere else. And usually in the most destructive places. We, we try to fit in. We try to prop ourselves up. We put others down. We've lost our sense of place and belonging in the world. And we can get by for a little while with human substitutes. Whether it's friendships or families, but even friendships fail. And if you've been part of a family, you know there's hurt there too. Nothing can properly take the place of a life knowing God. And we are left to break ourselves upon one another spiraling downward in cycles of devaluation, violence, and addiction. And yet, into this brokenness, God intervenes. Right? This, too, is the big story of the Bible. The overarching message of all of Scripture is that God would not tolerate brokenness getting the last word. God wants to be known. And this is what Jesus continues to teach us as He lets us listen in 
on his prayer, right? He continues by verse 26. He says, I have made you known to them and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to continue to make you known. I'm going to continue to reintroduce a broken humanity to the God who created us and loves us. And this is the first step towards a solution. In a world that doesn't know God, either because it never has had the chance to or because we didn't like what he said. We gave up on him to be our own gods and to do our things our own ways and telling him to bugger off. Jesus' prayer shows us that God wants us to know him. Jesus reveals the Father and this is the first step to an actual solution to the problems our world is facing. But what is it about the Father that Jesus continues to harp on? What aspects of his character and nature over and over again have we seen in this John 17 prayer? It is not just that Jesus reveals the Father, that's the starting point, but he reveals something very specific about the Father. And in this text that we're studying this morning, we see that Jesus offers the Father's love. Right? Verse 24, we see at the bottom here, I want them to be with me, see my glory, the glory you've given me, because what? Because you loved me before the creation of the world. This, this is the story of creation, right? We heard a few weeks back about this idea of Trinity. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing for all eternity in this swirling, dancing experience of joy and community and love, even within Himself. And it's like God saying, this is so good, we can't just keep this to ourselves. Let's create humanity so we can overflow this kind of love on them. And so it starts by seeing God's love for Jesus within the Trinity. That God loved me, says Jesus, before the creation of the world. But then by verses 25 and 26, and Jesus saying, look, I've made you known to them and will continue to make them known. Why? In order that the love you have for me might actually be in them. The love that you have for me, this beautiful, swirling, Trinitarian love that God has within Himself, that is supposed to overflow. The whole point of God's creation, and the point of Him making you and me, is that His love might have a chance to overflow in us. To a broken and hurting world that has lost its way, and that has lost hope. This is not the love of God, it's not a trite answer. It's not some mere Sunday school answer. It's the real deal. God offers us His love even in our brokenness and our rebellion. And the clearest demonstration of that love is by sending Jesus to the cross. And that Jesus would willingly do it. To die for our sins, to rise again, to conquer sin and brokenness forever. That's where this prayer is going, right? When He says Amen, He goes to the cross. And the cross is the definitive action of God to heal, redeem, and restore. It is the ultimate revelation of the Father's love. And so when we come to Him in repentance, acknowledging how badly we've screwed this whole life thing up, owning and confessing our stupid foolishness and our sin, with gratitude, we can put our trust in what Jesus has done for us, and we can be made new. See, to know God's love is to know that you have value. 
that you are precious in God's sight. Not because of who you hang out with. Not because of what you smoke. Not because of who is treating you with dignity at any given time. But because you are a precious creation of the living God. And His eye is upon you. And no one can take that away from you. To know God's love is to discover a sense of belonging and confidence that comes not by putting others down. To make your, you know, two people, both dramatically insecure. How does per- this person make themselves feel better? Well, if I can put this person down, then from a relative standpoint, I feel better about myself. At least I'm not down here. This is called middle school. And this is what happens in adults who never actually get beyond the maturity level of middle school. But imagine a different path. Imagine two people broken and hurting and insecure. One of them, instead of pushing the other down, is actually lifted up by such joy and love and belonging, having value conferred upon them and being told they matter and that they are precious to God. And they are so caught up in this that they can't help but reach their hand down and lift others around them up too. That is a different vision of the world. And that's available right now. It's available today. And the church is the place on earth where that dignity is conferred. And where it is expressed with great welcome. Not that we affirm everyone's life decisions who walks through the door. That's not how it goes. But we affirm everyone's dignity and worth who walks through the door. And we point them to the cross and say there's healing and forgiveness in Jesus' name. That's what we mean when we say Jesus offers the Father's love. And that's powerful. And that can change the world. So Jesus reveals the Father over and over again. We've seen that in John 17. And specifically, He reveals the Father's love as the basis for our identity, value, and worth. But our text this morning even goes one step beyond that and gives us this vision of a future that's worth living for. And that future is one where Jesus wants us to be with Him. And I don't know if you caught in this text the most astounding words almost in all of Scripture. And maybe I'm speaking hyperbolically, but maybe I'm not. These could be the most astounding words in all of Scripture. Jesus praying to the Father as we get this glimpse into the very heart of God. And He says, Father, I want those You've given me to be with me where I am. This is God talking. He says, I want them with me. I want to be with them. This has been God's objective from the very beginning since we screwed it all up in the Garden of Eden. Right? He creates Adam and Eve and enjoys immediate and intimate fellowship, going for walks in the cool of the day. And then we screw it all up with sin and all that garbage. And from that point forward, the rest of the Scriptures are a testament of God calling us. He says, I know you're broken and alienated from me, but but I want you to build a tabernacle so that I can dwell in your midst. Yes, there's this big heavy curtain and yes, there's sin that needs to be dealt with, but you need to know I'm still here and I haven't given up. And then that tabernacle gets turned into a temple and God says, yes, you're making terrible decisions as a nation and the whole thing is falling apart, but I want you to know I'm still here and I'm in your midst and I haven't given up. And then he sends Jesus who is Emmanuel. What does it mean? 
God with us. You see, this has been God's heart from the very beginning, that we might be with Him. And now we live in the age of the Holy Spirit, where Paul writes that we are each temples of the Holy Spirit, that God is living in us, that God is living with us. And when you get finally to the book of Revelation, you see God's end game on display. And what does that end game look like? Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or addiction or school shootings. For the old order of things will pass away. And why will this be the case? Because the verse before says the dwelling place of God is now among the people. And He will dwell with them. And they will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. This is God's end game. He will dwell with us and He Himself will be right there with us and we will be with Him. This is what Jesus longs for. For all those who love Him to finally, inexorably, and imminently to be with Him face to face forever and while we're there we're going to get a glimpse of his glory right that's where he continues i want those you've given me to be with me and to see my glory and to have our faith in him vindicated because it's all true and in all of the hardship that we have to face in this life and all of the challenges we have to suffer through until Jesus comes back in all of the schools and the employment places, the businesses and our families and everywhere where they, they throw shame and disdain upon us because we put our faith in Jesus. In the end, we get to be with him and we get to behold his glory. And Jesus says to us, you were right. And I love you. And you're mine. God with us becomes us with God for all eternity. And that is an outcome worth living for. Jesus wants us to be with Him. So as Jesus is ending this prayer, do you see how it sort of all fits together? Do you see the answer that Jesus is offering to a broken and hurting world. That he's not dealing with surface level problems. He's going right to the root. He came to reveal the Father. Over and over again we've seen this. And not just to reveal the Father, but actually to offer the Father's love. The same love that God experiences as Trinity. He wants that to overflow into the lives of those living in a broken and hurting world. And he doesn't just want us to be passive recipients of that love, but he wants to invite us into a relationship that we might actually be with Jesus where we will find value, dignity, worth, and meaning. He's saying you can know God. The God who says you matter and you have worth and you belong. He's saying you can enjoy his love, not because you've earned it or because you deserve it, because he freely gave it in Christ. And you can live now and forevermore with him, not in a life that is meaningless or pointless or hopeless, but as a journey of ever-increasing discovery of the love and beauty of Christ. So you get to decide if that's a life worth living. You get to decide if this vision of life and this vision of a future, if it was truly embraced, might actually stem the tide of addiction and violence.
might actually come to meet brokenness and heartache. Sure, let's get better background checks going. Yes, let's harden schools. We might have to. Let's enact better regulatory legislation on drugs and provide more compassionate care for addiction. Yes, all of the above. But man, do we need something more. There's a story some of you have probably heard me tell. It's kind of a horrible story. About a group of people walking through the jungle. And they come across a waterfall, like a river, a fast-moving river that goes to a waterfall. And there are children in the water being swept over the precipice. And so horrified by this they immediately start how are we going to rescue the children so they they start wading into the water but the current is too strong and they can't reach the children so they turn back to the jungle and start cutting down sticks to say well maybe if we get a stick long enough we can reach out and we can rescue some of the children and it works they get some of the children but there's still others that are being swept away and so they say well maybe we can we can build a bridge and so they start cutting down logs entire trees and they start lashing them together to try and float a bridge out over the water that they might actually rescue the children And in the flurry and fury of all of their efforts, one person just starts to walk away. And the rest of them scream at this individual saying, "Uh, where are you going? Come back, we need your help to rescue the children. And the person shouts back, you keep going. Keep rescuing the children. But I'm going upstream to find out who's throwing the children in the river in the first place, and I'm going to put an end to it. Too often, doesn't this world feel like we're just trying to rescue the kids instead of getting upstream? At some point, someone's got to go upstream. And I think that upstream, the problems are not about drugs or gun violence. I think upstream, the problem is a generation that has no sense of being loved or valued or that they belong. A generation that has no idea how to treat one another with dignity and respect. A generation that feels so alone and so hopeless that they will turn to anything to fill that gaping hole or they'll lash out in violence just to obliterate the pain. They're either throwing one another into the river or just jumping in hoping for a good ride until it's over. But Jesus invites us upstream. You know, it's why we have children's Sunday school. It is not free child care. Dear God, no. From their earliest memory, our children will know that they are precious to God, that they matter to Him, and they matter to us. And they will grow up knowing that they matter and hearing that message week after week, Sunday after Sunday, that they are loved and they, they are welcomed here. And then maybe, maybe, They'll stand a chance of not searching for value elsewhere and doing stupid things to try and fit in with their friends and peers because they will be so confident that they are loved by God and loved by us. It's why we have a youth center. And it's not just a Friday night distraction to keep those kids from getting into trouble. Dear God, no. In what are arguably the hardest years of life, middle school to high school, when everything seems like it's changing, when kids are at their meanest, And when kids are at their most sensitive and vulnerable, they can face those years knowing that they matter and that they belong to Jesus and to us. And then maybe, just maybe, they won't lash out in violence when they're hurting or angry because they have a safe place to process their hurts and their fears. They have leaders who love them and who will spend the time listening to them. There's an entire church family that values them and confers upon them dignity and worth. They belong to Jesus. They belong to us. 
And it's why I'm going to keep standing up here preaching week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and training others to do the same. Because we have a message of hope that can literally change the world. And strangely enough, this is what Jesus has been praying over us for all of John chapter 17. This is what we've been eavesdropping on. It is God's heart for the world and for his people. Perhaps one of the most beautiful pictures of God's response to the brokenness in our world is Psalm 18. I'm going to try and read it. I'm going to be a mess. It begins with a a clear and a really poignant description of the situation of brokenness. And into that brokenness, God shows up, and it's terrifying. But watch for the end. Watch how it ends. I read for you selected verses from Psalm chapter 18. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And the earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountains shook, and they trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth, and burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. And out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. And he reached down from on high and took hold of me. And he drew me out of deep waters. And he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in my day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. And he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delights in me. I am a Christian because God reached down from on high and took hold of me. I believe in Jesus and I have built my life upon what he has done for me and I genuinely believe he is the upstream answer. My value comes from knowing that I am loved by God and no one's going to mess with that. And my life has meaning because I know every day I'm growing in my relationship and knowledge of him. And my future has hope because I know one day when all of this garbage is done, I'll get to be with him face to face, beholding his glory forever. And I'm part of a church because I believe that only together can we love well and teach one another what God's love actually looks like. Only together can we confer dignity and worth upon one another. 
Not because of our doing, but because of Jesus is doing and what he has done. I believe that only together can we raise a generation that doesn't know despair because they know the love of God in Christ for them. We can raise a generation that doesn't know loneliness because they know Jesus is with them and that they belong in a Christian community that is centered on the glory and work of Jesus. We can raise a generation that doesn't know hopelessness because they know that even when the present is hard, not if the present is hard, when the present is hard, there's a future where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain and we will be with Jesus beholding His glory and enjoying Him forever. I believe in a God who is Father, a Father who is love, and a love that would give His life for me. You see it? Yet? (laughs) This is what Jesus has been praying. He's saying the world is broken. They don't know Him. They don't know God. And I come to him with the gall to say, I demand answers. Who am I? But I want to know, how do you confer worth? How do you offer hope? Jesus says, come upstream with me and I'll show you. I'll show you as I reveal the Father. I'll show you as I offer the Father's love show you as we invite an unbelieving broken and hurting world into life with jesus jesus invites us upstream this is what the work of god has always been about and so as we come to the end of jesus prayer in john 17 well we kind of end where it starts if you think back to the very first verses of the prayer jesus prays father The hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted Him authority over all people that He might give eternal life to all those you've given Him. And now this is eternal life, Jesus says. That they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Listen, Jesus is praying. And He's saying, come upstream with me. And that's where you'll find the heart of God and His answer and what I believe is the only answer to the brokenness of this world as we see God and all of His glory on full display. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do not come to church for 90 minutes of escapism. We don't come to church to pretend that everything's okay in the world. And if we just don't have to think about it for a little while, we'll be fine. We come to church to find real answers to the real problems that this world throws at us every day. We come to church because we need to be reminded Sunday after Sunday, week after week, year after year, that you alone are God. And that only with you and in you do we even have a hope of navigating this crazy world. Father, we pray for this world that doesn't know you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work revealing the Father, offering the Father's love, inviting this world to know you and to do life with you that they might find dignity and meaning and worth they might find dignity and meaning and worth 
in ways that are unshakable because they're founded upon you. And then here's the scary prayer. God, use us to do it. Give us enough frustration and righteous anger at the brokenness of the world that we will not sit by and do nothing. Because this is life or death. And an unbelieving world needs you. Give us conviction, not just that we're Christians, but that the Bible is true and that you offer the best and only way to true life. And then give us grace and humility and joy and confidence as you allow us to interact with others. That it might overflow the same way your love within the Trinity overflows onto us. May our love that comes from you then fill us up and then allow it to keep overflowing. That because they come into contact with your church, they might catch a glimpse of your love for them as well. God, we also pray for those who are caught in addiction. And we ask in Jesus' name, break the power that addiction has. God, we're asking for your supernatural intervention to bring healing and wholeness. And God, we pray for the communities that have been ravaged by gun violence in the schools. And we ask that you would be so near to them. You need to reveal yourself there that they might have a chance at healing and hope and trying to make sense of any of this. And God, we even pray for those who are on the journey thinking about perpetrating such crimes. And God, you need to rescue them. God, be at work in the upstreamest of upstream places. Heal this land, even as you heal us. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name, in whom we have complete.